live from a kinder, gentler, more photogenic apocalypse. This is State of the Game. I am your host. I am known as the Brian McKnight of my local library, Dan O. My co-host, he also has a reputation. He is the D'Angelo of his apartment complex because he is both shirtless and aloof when he's in that uh, facility. <laughs> hey, Diggy, thank you for being here. And we have a guest. We have the Iron Foundation of one of my favorite podcasts. We're talking about E from the Next Movement Pod. This is, uh, this is one of the podcast's great pairings. I'm, I'm very happy to have you on to talk the mixtape era with us. Yeah, yeah, happy to join y'all. Oh, so tell me about like the the relationship you have with Rob is so good. Yeah, Rob is one of the most tranquil people in podcasting. <laughs> he's pretty. He's pretty calm and laid back. He's like he's a therapist, and he's like he's just very centered. Um, yeah, we had him on the the Roots uh, roundtable, and he was our he was our guiding uh, emotional light. It was good. Uh, but yet you have a really good awareness of the mixtape year. It got me very excited because I'll be honest, a lot of people don't. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people that are my age, like they, they know more about like the deaf jokes kind of rhyme savers, strange, famous takeoff in the two thousands. And they don't really know what we're going to talk, what we're talking about. Right. Yeah. Different generation. Uh, so, uh, we you brought to the table Freddie Gibbs' "Cold Day in Hell." Uh, what was what was when I asked you, you could bring anything you wanted. Why was that the one you chose? So this was one of the mixtapes that sort of got me back into the game. So it, you know, there was a point in time around you know, I would say like late 2000s where I sort of distanced myself a little bit away from hip hop. Mm -hmm. um, I was just into other genres, exploring other music and um, hearing Freddie Gibbs made me excited about hip hop again. Um, I'll never forget the first time I heard him. It was just sort of, I don't know. I mean, you've heard Freddie Gibbs. It was like, who is this? You know, immediately. He just draws you in and it, you know, he's a certified gangster rapper, but I think what made him different than other gangster rappers is his storytelling ability. I really think that he has the ability to paint this picture, particularly about where he's from, Gary, Indiana. Like, you know, I've never known anybody from Gary and don't know much about Gary, Indiana. And, you know, when he rhymes about it, he really draws you in to the community that he's from by describing I mean, oftentimes the horrific, you know, goings, goings on there, like the, the trauma that he's experienced and seen and, you know, from drugs to poverty. And, you know, I just think that he has a way to draw you into that, um, you know, through his, through his rhyming, but also just his talents as an artist. Um, and my introduction to him was straight killer no filler. Um, and I, yeah. yeah. And I love that mixtape, but yep. when I heard Cold Day in Hell, 
that was when it really hit me. I was like, he's going to be big. Like people are going to hear this and, and this is what's going to put him on the map. And I think in my opinion, I think this is when it started. This is when people really started to pay attention to him. That's yeah. I mean, I think that's absolutely correct. Straight killer, no filler. I loved it. I sent it links to all my friends. I think that was when we were still wrapping our head around yeah. the flow. Uh, and just because the flow is like a race car. It is yeah. like uh, there's just all you go smoothly at any like speed you want. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's just it's a beautiful ride. So we were more into like, man, this guy, what is what is this flow comparative to? And critics were trying to figure out a comparison. But Cold Day in Hell is so much more important than that. It's so much more dexterous than yeah. that, like in, in what it's able to do. So, um, and and KD, what what was your first project you heard uh, you heard of Gibbs? Uh, believe it was Bandana. That makes sense. Yeah. Yep. And, and so, it's weird. I was I've said this a lot. If you heard Cold Day in Hell when it came out, it's just different. We've lived a different experience. Yeah. Uh, it's like getting to see an amazing player drafted and go on your team. They were talking to, uh, they were talking to, I can't remember which teammate it was, but it was somebody who was on Kevin Garnett's Timberwolves team, right? Mm -hmm. And they said, when did you know he was going to be a Hall of Famer? And they said, first practice. <laughs> yeah, they just looked at each other like, whoa! <laughs> so that's kind of how we were doing it. Uh, we were like, Wow. So, uh, and, and the mixtape year had moments like this where yeah. people shine. Uh, and I, I, one of the things I was going to propose as a hypothesis here, because it was really the, your interview with Def C is kind of what got this going in my mind. I was, I was, you know, uh, online with Def C pitching my theories, the mixtape era. I don't think, I don't think it died. I think it was digested by the streaming era. I think the mm -hmm. biggest stars of now are from that mixtape streaming era, right? Cole, Drake, you know, Kendrick, on and on. Uh, mm -hmm. They knew how to give music away at not at an album price and adjust. Mm -hmm. so I think the market ate it, just digested it, really. Uh, but it was about, it, the difference is, I was going to give you an example here. I've said I, underground rap doesn't like pop rap. Right. Maybe that's right. the definition. Like, so like Nephilim modulation systems is my example. Orko Elohim and Big Just from Company Flow, they formed a group, jagged sonic sounds and conspiracy theories. That's it. That's the whole thing. It's awesome <laughs> to listen to for me but it's never going to go anywhere. You can't even remember the name of it, right? Yeah. It's underground rap. So the, instead, these albums that, that we had today, Don is Fashionably Late, Jay Ant, Blue Money, uh, even Cold Day in Hell, it's, they're not anti-pop albums at all. They're just proposing a new way for pop to be. Yeah. I agree. Okay. So and that, that was the kind of fun of it was like when J. Cole first came out with the warm up, it was like, we could do it this way. 
It could be yeah. soul samples. It could be fun. When Kid Cudi came out with, with a kid named Cudi, they were like, it could be all hooks. I remember playing a kid named Cudi for an old head friend of mine who was angry. Just like, <laughs> no! <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, but I was like, this is the future. Like, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. So, how do you think of the mixtape era when you look back on it and how it influenced things in general? I, I really think it was, I mean, it was hugely, I don't, not I think, I know, it was hugely important for artists. I mean, because this allowed them, especially when it be, they became digital, you know, yeah. we, were, we were able to access on that, on, them, on that platform. And, you know, it allowed independent artists to move freely and successfully in the game without a major deal. I mean, look at all these people who are now really popular, really famous. I'm thinking about somebody like ASAP Rocky. Yeah. Like, look at look at how he was able to move. I mean, he put out this product. It was a huge marketing tool for him. You know, this is who I am. This That was our introduction to him. And look where he is now. So I just think it was so important um, in that regard. I also think it gave artists more control because before, mm -hmm. you know, prior to you know, mixtapes being on a, you know, digital forum, you know, you relied on physical copies and they were sort of controlled by the DJ, right. you know, they controlled the narrative as opposed to artists saying, I'm putting out this, you know, album, I'm putting out my stuff for you all to hear. And I think, you know, with technology being available to artists later on, they were able to utilize those tools to, to sort of introduce themselves to the world. And I think, so So for me, that's what the mixtape era is about. I mean, look at 50 Cent. Look how he marketed G-Unit through the mixtape game. Yeah, no, you know? that, that was the model and that continued on, right? Like, yeah. You, you yeah. kept seeing people, Joe Budden came and like yeah. all these different people just came out of mixtapes and got their shot, uh, you know. Right. I mean, I, I think it, the mixtape era for me, it was about uh, autonomy, it allowed them it allowed an artist to express himself and create a project without having to appease the major label. Yeah. And I think that that's very important. Like if you look at, like you look at an artist like Drake who made it big on So Far Gone, that, there was a huge difference between So Far Gone and uh, Thank Me Later, which yeah. was his major label debut. And I think mixtapes allowed the artists uh, that voice to really express themselves without having to think about the commercial terms of their project. Yeah. And the interesting thing to add on, <laughs> independent artists were able to establish themselves. I guess I'm thinking of Big Crit uh, when Big Crit, you know, just touched down and like all that. And then he got like his deal right off and was, in, you know, did it. Um, but major label artists got a chance to reset themselves through mixtapes. Yeah. Like, think about yes. people talk about Wayne and his mixtape run. Wayne was looking at them like, you, you're silly. You're sitting there with an old model. You're like building my album. Leave it alone. I'm just going to keep working. Boom, boom, yes. boom. Yeah. And he just kept you know, putting them out and, and upping the scales uh, and it worked, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. So I'm glad we had Cold Day in Hell because I wanted to bring in some weird lost treasures uh, from different regions that kind of never took off fully. Yeah. Uh, and talk about what, you know, it's almost counter historical narratives of like what could have happened, you know? Um, but it's, uh, I don't know. Kay Diggy, what did you think of the, of the overall of the albums? The mixtape, sorry, that we listened to this week. Um, I mean, I, I, I liked Freddie Gibbs the best. I mean, none of the projects were bad, no. per se. None of them were bad. But it was interesting because I could see why each of, for me, there were distinct, there were clear reasons why each of them did not uh, we, blow blow up the artist to the degree that we thought they would. And, and I was able to see, yeah, like, as I said, uh, in terms of the music, like all the music was fairly solid. But, you know, when I was able to look into the context of the, you know, the context that the uh, the mixtapes were released as well as, you know, really listen to them. I could understand why, except for Freddie, the other two didn't get as big as we thought they could have been. Yeah, no, it, it's, well, that's the weird part about the repeated listenings throughout the week is that mm -hmm. you start, you, you're looking at it like, you know, this person didn't like go to the next mm -hmm. level. You're kind mm -hmm. of looking for the Shakespearean flaws and you're like getting to the, uh, you know, this didn't, and, and I, I had that same thing as well. What was, what was your reaction, E, to this, uh, to this crop? It's, it's interesting. So I hadn't heard of the two mixtapes other than A Cold Day in Hell. Like those mm -hmm. just were never on my radar. Um, but they were interesting listens. Um, I, what I thought was really um, striking is that for me, Blue Money sounded like it could have come out today. It didn't, it doesn't sound dated. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, like I think Great. it sounds like an album that you would, uh, that would be popular, it's something that you would hear on the radio. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. No, I think that's a great jumping off point. We should talk Blue Money. Uh, I love Blue Money. <laughs> I thought it was, it was, you know, it comes out of that wave. There was like that group of Bay Area people. This was yeah. like Fizzler time period, right? Fizzler.com, like Bay Area pumping out stuff. Uh, cool John was on this, you know, Pilo, I Am Sue, all these like, and they were all like kind of post-hyphy, you know, children of E-40 in a way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and but their the reviews they kept getting were very annoying and very like oh again with the hyphy designation talking about the finger snaps so i really felt like blue money was jay ant using all of his production intelligence to create an entirely new tempo like almost almost like uh weird comparison but bossa nova to jazz like you know like the bossa nova kind of like chilled out vibe that was the way he was approaching this he wanted this to be solidly foundationally chill and cool 
Um, <laughs> and I think he succeeded in that. I think he definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah. What were you? I mean. Oh, did, were, who were you asking? Who were you asking? Yeah. What, what was your reaction? I was. What I was gonna say is, I I really enjoyed the music. Um, like particularly the beat, some of the arrangements, like the second half, when he really caught his like you know that that groove that you were talking about that that mid tempo groove. I think he did really did some really great stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but for me. Like, while I think the music production was really good, like, I think one thing, the reason why it didn't pop off like it should have is because, and this is why, like, when I was, when I was doing research for the show, I create a list about what are the reasons why, what, what is the purpose of a mixtape? Mm, and I'd be interested true. to hear everyone's thoughts about it. Yep. And I think one of the reasons that I came across, and I, I had like three or four. One of the reasons for a mixtape is to help uh, help an artist create awareness of their brand <laughs> or their personality. Yeah. So like, you know, when you hear a 50 Cent mixtape, aside from the rapping, you get a, you, you have an idea of what the 50 Cent brand slash personality is all about. Oh. And I just felt like Jay Anthony, like there were, he had a lot of great musical moments on here, but by the end of the mixtape slash album, like I didn't have a sense of an idea of who he was as a person. Mm -hmm. So there was really nothing for me to connect, connect with him personally. Mm. So. So E purpose of a mixtape. What do you, what do you, what do you think? Um, I mean, I think Keith is right. Um, it's, you know, it's a way for artists to sort of introduce themselves to us. Um, I also think it is a way for them to really, in that same breath, a way for them to really show us what they got. You know, I, I feel like a mixtape is, I don't know, it feels more like a free space to create because yes. you can, it's your mixtape. You can do whatever the hell you want to. You know, you don't, you're not on a label. You're, you don't have people sort of pressuring you to produce this sound, that flow. You know, this is you. This is, this is your time to shine. So mm -hmm. do whatever you want to. So I feel like, you know, it's, it's a, it's sort of a tool that artists can use to list, not hold back. Right. You know, and, it, and in this regard, Blue Money feels it almost feels too polished to me. You know, it's, I feel like we really, like he said, I feel like we really don't know who Jay Ant is by the end of this. Yeah. Like, is this like, you know, I, I was waiting sort of for like that climax. Mm. And I don't know that we got it. Yeah, no, you, you articulated a lot of, of the issues. I would say the best description of what mixtapes are supposed to do uh, ironically was was explained by LP on the what had happened was uh, pod, podcast today where he it was a discussion about the first run the jewels and the decision to put that out for free and he explains like I just felt like it was the right thing to do uh, I, it, this is a new thing we were doing and I wanted people to buzz about it I wanted people to take it in for what it was 
and jump on. And I said, here, you know, here it is, jump in, right? Uh, and that's kind of what it allows you to do, right? It allows you to put it out there and say, here this is, uh, it's an experiment, here it is. And they jump in, you love it, you buy the next album, you go to the show, you buy a hat, whatever. Yeah. But it is like sampling the ice cream at the ice cream parlor before you buy the thing. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And another thing about Jay Ant, like I think also with mixtapes, yes, there is a sense of, you know, freedom mm -hmm. and expression, but there also, I think in some instances, there also needs to be, you have to take a marketing perspective about it as well. Uh, like I think Jay Ant, like, I think he, he, it got to a point where like, he was almost a little bit too versatile to me. He was doing way, not he was doing way too many things. Like he could do way too many things. So I was getting like, I was getting Dom Kennedy vibes from him. I was getting Wiz Khalifa vibes from him. ASAP Rocky vibes. So all of these, all of these different vibes and energies and influences that I was getting from him kind of diluted the marketing message about who he was as an artist. Right. So I think as a mixtape, you really have to think, yes, you want to express yourself, but at the same time, you also want to say, explicitly say, what am I trying to communicate to the person who listens to this? to this mixtape and there really has to be an intentionality in it that i did not see in in this blue money mixtape nope no it's i was trying when i was when i was going through this i was like you know what i'm gonna take notes this time and I've, i pulled up a blank uh you know email thing and, and i was like i'm gonna type whatever lyrics catch me into this and i got lyrics and notes for fashionably late and for cold day in hell but i didn't write anything down for blue money yeah. you know like yeah. he says he's cool i believe him <laughs> that online, that's cool you know like i don't know it's uh you know it was and there was a point where i was like does he like does jay ant love rapping Right, like because I love, I love the production, I love mm -hmm. the song concepts, I love the hooks, but when he hits the verses, that's where it feels like he's working. Yeah, and, and I mean, there's such a I think it's really because of the juxtaposition between like the beats are very kinetic, but his 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 delivery is so laid back. Mm -hmm. that it just creates like a contradiction that's really like this came out in 2013 i i imagine if i heard this in 2013 it would have been really hard for me to digest mm. i think maybe that's why i think it could come out now because mm -hmm. right. to me like that's that's the flow that's popular now Absolutely. i mean it's sort of like the, the bare minimum <laughs> the low energy flow is right in. right that's that's fair i mean it, it's i i would say that yeah the other thing is and this is a problem with it i 
really felt out of one song in particular that so you establish i think this is like masterfully conceptual i love the album cover art uh mixtape cover art with the lady and the blue money i love <laughs> the like established chill tone but when you establish the tone like that you have to then break it a little you mm-hmm. can't you can't keep vector the whole way yeah you know there has to be conflict it has to bubble up and then calm down it has to, there has to be movement right and i feel like the song i really thought should have given that to me was number 14 temple run Temple run starts with these an interesting drum pattern like almost like congas in a way mm-hmm. and i was like oh this is gonna get this is gonna get there this is gonna go and it never lifted off never got right my double flow but it's not i was like man this thing is supposed to boom you're supposed to kick this up right um, and he never wanted to do that mm. and then there's uh, your jam is the other one that's, that struck me as kind of weird because the more I listened to it, I was like, this song is kind of him asking if you like the song. Yeah. <laughs> is this your jam? Do you like this kind of song? I hope so. <laughs> strange. Yeah. Very strange. Yeah, uh, I mean, and I thought, the, I thought the sequencing could have been tighter as well. I think like you said, I think the sequencing and maybe like it's it's 16 tracks and maybe cutting cutting some of the tracks would have made it a little bit tighter and made some of those songs pop a little bit. Yeah, and he knows this. The mixtape era was bloated and there were there were Royce to five nine mixtapes that went on for days. <laughs> I had to I had to order in and just and just be like, look, I'm trying to get through these 28 songs. Um, <laughs> but it was, so that was, some of that was the era, but I think you're right. I think if we, there's some of these that like, I, you know, I I could lose Get Your Cuff Saw out and not worry about it, you know? <laughs> uh, I, there's a couple I need, Dreams and Promises. I love that sample. Uh, yeah. Online is the closest to a banger that we have, um, mm-hmm. and smooth is kind of the tempo setter. World yeah. Lock three, but I think I think there's some of these that you could cut out and you wouldn't miss it at all. I thought Aliens was an interesting track. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. it did. Yeah. It, it felt ahead of its time to me. Yeah. Absolutely. Another thing about the mixtape era, E, that I have to share. My wife has been with me a long time and is completely psychically scarred by DJ tags. <laughs> because what I do every morning is oh, I gosh. the most, like, the most, not necessarily offensive, but outlandish rap song to wake up to. That's yeah. My so, for... <laughs> For like five to seven years, that was like DJ for one, or like uh, ski, 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 like you know, there's just all these. Um, so when I was re listening to this, you know, she was like, 
you you know your alarms are from the middle. They can't be from the top because I can't I can't go back to DJ tags. Starts <laughs> yelling in my face. Um, I can't go back to it. So and that's fair. It's fair. Um, the DJ tags were hard. They were hard to deal with. They they were yeah. Yes. But they got better, right? Because originally, Funkmaster Flex would scream over the whole thing. <laughs> Him, Clue. Yep. Clue was rough sometimes for me. Um, I, I remember buying his physical copies of his stuff, and it was hard getting through them, man. It was hard because he would, like, do the laughing, and it was just, like, the Clue and the echo throughout the entire thing, and it was yeah, just horrible. like, man. Horrible. Cut but- me a break, bro. Shout out to DJ Drama, who eventually became like the Picasso of DJ tags. Yeah. Uh, like, you, I don't know if you've heard any of the the future mixtapes, hey Diggy, uh, that, that DJ Drama did. There's like uh, FBE, the movie, and all these other things. No. He was, he, he went from yelling to just kind of free versing nonsense. <laughs> And it was, it was brilliant. You know, it's like he would, he would pipe in at the last 10 seconds of the song and be like, we're surfers now and the world is our wave. DJ Drama, and we're like, what? What, is, what does that mean? But you, you couldn't shake it. You're genius. It was like walking in on a conversation between two strangers in the middle of the weirdest part. And then having that haunt you, like that's what is too. <laughs> uh, but so back to Jaya, the uh, started digress there. But there's, yeah, it kind of needed to break form a little bit, and the guests needed to break form a little bit. Like, yeah, you have I am Sue, Cool John. Mm-hmm. It's just these people who are in this very tight circle, you know, of people. And I, I was thinking. If I was an artist listening to this when it came out, I would think I need that guy from to produce on my album, mm-hmm. right? Like, and I think that's why he's he's a producer now, um, yeah. and I think that's you wouldn't be thinking this is the next great voice. You'd be thinking, "Whew, I'd, I'd pay for that beat." Yeah, um, yeah. So, and there's a shout out to Pilo who's still still grinding. Pilo uh, is is in the I am Sula HBK gang. They have yeah, he's like the best producer of the lot. Uh, he's produced for a lot of big names. Still puts out his own projects. They're super fun. One of the problems with this kind of post hyphy music, Pilo still deals with it. I am Sue still deals with it. No matter how good a rapper you are, there's a lightness to the content. Mm. Agreed. Yeah. It has an appetizer feel to it. Hmm. As in sense? what? As in the production is not like the main. It doesn't feel like the main course. Well, no. So put it in perspective, right? Every verse Navy Blue does feels like he's bearing his soul. Right. He put out a new project. There's a line in one song where he said bought my nephew's shoes just to see him grow out of them before I could see him put them on. And I was like, wow. what? 
this I mean, <laughs> every navy blue song is is this intense therapy session yeah where he sings to himself and, and you you're like there for it and it's important and the post high feet cats all of them i am sue's a great rapper but what's my favorite verse i don't know man you know mm. um he's there's a lightness to it right there's is a fluidity and a lightness to it that never starts oh. that's a good point yeah black substance mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yeah. you can make money lacking substance you definitely can but it's hard to establish a base of people that will follow you. Yeah. Mm. Especially now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like you just said, Navy Blue. I mean, those whole cats leading this rap renaissance. Yep. I mean, there's their work is super emotional. Mm -hmm. It's right. heavy. It's heavy hitting. I mean, it's it's not just you're not just listening to music, you're like taking in their experiences. Yep. Yep. But yeah. I think you have to establish, as we were talking about this last show, if you want a career in rap music or music in general, you have to create a personality uh, that people can attach to. And like you said, with, with the hyphy music, it's very hard to create like a personality or, or like a character that, you know, the listener can, you know, like go on a journey with, like go you know, go on a musical journey with throughout their whole career. And if you're not able to do that, yeah, you can have a couple of hits, which will let you, you know, maybe do club appearances or do, you know, small, smaller venue concerts for the rest of your career, but it's not really sustainable. Yeah, no, it, it's it like, it's almost like painting a self portrait because you're still giving of yourself, right? You're not necessarily generating a new personality for your raps hopefully right <laughs> uh, but you're taking what is you and framing it artistically yeah mm -hmm. and doing that is a separate challenge and mm -hmm. it felt like when Jayant went to frame himself and his journey it was too low stakes yeah it was like man these people online they're annoying yeah you know but that's you know that's not that's not going to move the meter and there was like right. balls up for the other stuff yeah right and and, and for me the issue for jan was that what what can he do what can it's like we always say what can i get from him that i can't get from a dom kennedy or asap rocky uh and i can't i can't think of anything right. that he gives me that those guys that I couldn't get from those guys and probably even better, to put it and, bluntly. Mm, shout out to like somebody like Kid Cudi always got made fun of for not being great in verses, right? Uh, that he was not necessarily a rapper's rapper. Uh, mm -hmm. And that was back, he broke at a time when people didn't really understand that in between lane, that someone like right. Shep is in, uh, you know, uh, Ty Dolla Sign, whatever. There was, there was a need for like, clarification and they were like cuddy cuddy can't rap cuddy's verses are whack and but his audience attached to him immediately because there was so much emotion pain in what he was doing mm -hmm. and uh, he was willing to, to be very raw about it yeah yeah 
and that goes a long way. Absolutely, they they that emotion, that humanity, like people really attach and connect with the humanity uh, in in Kid Cudi's voice and his lyrics as well. So mm-hmm. yes, he may not be. I guess you could say like in the purest form rapping, right. but in what he's saying, there's a lot of humanity and there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, I guess you could say meat regarding the human condition. Yep. Yeah. You got, you got to be relatable to, yes. to some degree. I mean, and maybe he was too relatable for some people. Um, I also think he sort of, introduce i mean maybe not introduce but he was doing sort of like alternative rap i mean something that you might term art rap now right. you know mm-hmm. he was he brought a completely different sound on top of being really raw and emotional um yeah. you know he was also singing on here um mm-hmm. i mean using his own voice not auto-tuned right which i really just think heightened the experience that's true. Yeah. No, it's the influences, the sonic influences were totally different. Yeah. Uh, the cut he brought to the table. Let's let's pivot to Gibbs. Go right to the Gibbs of Cold Day in Hell and talk about what would E, did anything re-listening to it, did anything pop out to you that was like that you may not have because it's been a while since I had heard this. So I was yeah. having all kinds of interesting relations so i didn't i i can't remember if i i mean it's been so long since i initially heard it so i can't i can't tell you what my initial reaction would have been and what i paid attention to then but i don't me saying that is is me sort of thinking that i can't remember if i knew who two chains was when i listened to this and realized that this would have been the first time that i heard him i don't think i did until i was listening to it now I was like oh shit this would probably have been the first time I heard two chains um so I don't think I had any awareness of that then and and if I did I don't remember um but that definitely stood out I thought well what also was interesting was you know we got a Jeezy feature on this you know this is when him and Gibbs are close and then fast forward three years later on Pinata he's tearing his ass up on real (laughs) You know, we got a GG diss track. So I, I was just like, ah, yeah, I forgot that they had been close at one time. And then they just fell off. My favorite Freddie Gibbs project is because I, I love the kind of uh, like almost like Red Man, Dare is a Dark Side when you're at a bad point in your life and you make the best music. Yeah. Yeah. East Side Moonwalkers on it. It's just nasty, it, and it's completely post cheesy. Like I hate all of you. Um, <laughs> it's so, and, and I and I think I'm alone on that island of just like prefer just like because when he broke, I went around saying Freddie Gibbs is the best gangster rapper in the world. Period. And then the next year, I'd be like, all right, Schoolboy Q is the best. And I kind of went back and forth between the two. But he was always like 1A or 1B on the best gangster rapper in the world. So watching the best gangster rapper be the most gangster he's going to be was like uncut, pure, ESGN's a hard, hard album. 
Yeah. But that was, yes. So I did think about that listening to Jeezy. But the guests, I mean, we're talking about Two Chains. We're talking about Juicy J. Yeah. yeah. You know, just legendary features on this album. Justice League producing Mike Will. Right. You know, jeez. Um, and I think for me, like this showed his ambition, you know, like some, like you said, some, some mixtape artists, they want to make that jump. They want to make the jump to, I guess, mainstream consciousness. So I think this was his attempt to do that. And, you know, you do that by, I think you do that in two ways. One, I think, I think this is like a rapping showcase. I think this album is this mixtape was this a mixtape or an album mixtape mixtape i think this mixtape is one of the it's it's a showcase for the art of gangster rapping uh and just his technical ability as well as you know like you said there's juicy j on it um jeezy and two chains he wanted to show like he put them on the album show look like i'm just as good as these guys there's no difference between us I can you can put I can get on a track with them and still rip it as well. So it's almost like you're you know you're you're putting people on notice that just because you haven't gained that level of fame yet, that doesn't mean you're not on the same rapping level as the as these you know very popular mainstream rappers. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I've heard him say so many times, I'm the best gangster rapper there is. Like I'm the best rapper, period. And you yeah. really feel it on yeah. mixtapes like this. You really feel that he was not just hungry, but he really believed, like, I'm the best rapper. And this is mm -hmm. what I can do. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, one of the notes that I wrote down was, Gibbs sounds like, sounds great on trap production. He sounds great on West Coast production. He sounds great on all these different forms of the music uh, from, you know, Rob Me, an African-American gentleman, but with Alley Boy uh, to, you know, the Dom Kennedy track, 187 Proof, you know, just all these different, all these different looks. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's, it's great. It works. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and he did, like, you know, what he did that Jay Ant did is, you know, he established a personality, established a brand from, from that game. I mean, from that first song, you hear that one song, his first song off of Cold Day in Hell, and you know, you know what Freddie Gibbs is about. And, you, and he, it was just, compared to Blue Money, it was just a lot more focused. Mm. It was, you know, it was... I wouldn't say it was like his elevator pitch, but it was like, here, this is a mixtape, this is who I am. You listen to this, you'll know who I am and what I'm about. And I think that, you know, that's that that's a sign of a really good mixtape. Yeah. And and it's, it's very strange, because like, I, I infamously don't remember things happening in my friends' lives or things happening in the world but I remember exactly how my emotional state writing the review for Cold Day in Hell. Mm. So my, I was basically really 
fascinated and torn by how good he was. And one of the things that creeped me out, there was like a, I, there was an emotional hardness and distance in this in this album that is showcased. The most like emotional song on this is Natural High, Even Higher Learning, which is a dedication song to marijuana. <laughs> That's when he gets the most genuinely emotional. Um, and something I was like, "That's he's going to have to work on. It. He's going to have to really engage." But I, what I, and, and honestly, it's something that there are Gibbs haters out there. There are people who don't like Gibbs. And one of the things they say they don't like is that there's he's not really saying much. That there isn't like a lot of memorable stuff within it. And I think the counter argument is is songs like "My Homeboy's Girlfriend." Mm-hmm. That was the song in my original review that I wrote that I said, this is his window forward. My homeboy's girlfriend is a way that he has genuine, gripping, emotional journey that you can feel vested in, right? I wish I had the nuts to tell you this while you was locked away in jail. I was out here nailing your what? I even helped out with the house note, the car payments and shit. I never thought about our friendship. I just thought with my dick and I was dead wrong. Hearing the same person who did 187 proof get that confessional was just yeah. Yeah. I mean, how could you not forgive him after saying that? You know? <laughs> I mean, self-awareness, uh, self-awareness is always the first step. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you there's so many smart decisions on here. I wrote down my notes. Is Heaven Can Wait a Tupac song? Is that like a Tupac dedication? It kind of feels very much in the vein of uh, some Tupac stuff. Uh, it, it's just interesting. There's a lot of different feels. Yeah. 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 And then, I, you know, I was thinking like, so I was thinking, well, you know, why? Because this is a great mixtape. And I was trying to figure out why it didn't like pop off like it should have. And then so I went back and I looked at, you know, when it was released. So it was released on October 31st, 2011. Within four months of, of, this, of this mixtape being released, ASAP Rocky released an album. Wale released an album. Mac Miller released an album. Oh. Childish Gambino released an album. And Drake released Take Care. So... I just think it, I think we I think you've made this point multiple times, Dan, about mm. regarding you know if you're an artist finding the right time to release your mixtape so that it doesn't get lost in the crowd. It's hard. Uh, I think yeah. that's just what happened right here. Like he just came out, and then J Cole came out the 27th of September. So he just he just happened to release a really good project at a time when a lot of artists were releasing really really good projects i always yeah. thought currency was really good at, at picking that time frame uh mm-hmm. i think a lot of the 1017 guys uh gucci and and those guys were great at, at at having specific dates where they would come out uh 1017 being one of them and i think <laughs> that is a, a critical point but i think you can see if you can look at pull up the Wikipedia at the cold day in hell, you can see music people know how good he is, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, Cardo doesn't show up for anybody. 
you know, just yeah. every, a lot of really big names. Justice League. Think about how big Justice League was at this time. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So they, they, people knew that this, this was a big talent. And I think that's the first level, right? The first level is like the insiders know who you are and know you're good. That's a good point. Yeah. And break, hopefully, you know, or sit in the background. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was incredible listening to it because it's got, it moves all over the place so much. And I, I wrote down this note. Does Cardo define the sound of this mixtape? A lot of it, I think he does, yeah. Maybe not all of it, but I think he definitely left his touch. One that could be felt. Absolutely. So of the 17, he did four of the tracks. Band, mm -hmm. uh, My Homeboy's Girlfriend, mm -hmm. Menace to Society, and my dogs. Yeah. Nope. And I think the reason why I, I was thinking that was just like, I was just thinking about it in the sense that Cardo's production is so clean. Mm -hmm. It's so pristine. Mm -hmm. it's perfect for someone with, with, a, with an interesting voice. Yeah. Right. Agreed. That's why it worked so well for Wiz Khalifa. On his cover, he did a mm -hmm. lot of work with Cardo. But like, if you don't have an interesting voice, a nutty flow, really good skills, it's gonna kind of sound boring because of how clean it is. Yeah, um, good point. If you have the voice, you can carry it. You're you're in business. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's that's why I, I just. I was really interested in, because I love all the Cardo contributions on this one. Um, yeah, very good stuff. You, Kay Diggy, what was your, did you have any personal favorite songs on here? Um, let's see. I liked, I liked Band, actually. Yep. Um, Two and Fuse with G Young Jeezy. Right. Uh, and then I really, I really liked the opener, barely made. I liked B. I liked uh, the, the collaboration of him and BJ, the Chicago kid. Yeah. No, BJ, the Chicago kid's amazing. I've, mm -hmm. I've taped for him before. I, I, I'm just a big fan of, of everything BJ the Chicago kid does. Um, but, um, you know, he was, he was great, and the collaborations were great. It's so wild that he could go and he can swing so vastly from like <clears throat> song with Juicy J to song with Dom Kennedy and it all works, you know? Yeah. yeah. His just his ear. Like I was, I think the one that really threw me off was Alley Boy. I definitely had forgotten that Alley Boy was on this. Um, and Gibbs doesn't doesn't hate pop music, he doesn't hate new music. He listens to a lot of stuff. He gives very intelligent critiques of music. Um, I think he's much smarter than than a lot of people would. I don't know. Maybe yes, or have their in their mind. Yeah. yeah. So there's definitely authorship to this thing. Um, yeah. So 
some stuff. What do you, uh, so yeah, the, and there's something weird. And he's, he jokes, he jokes just enough. There's jokes in here, I think. Like uh, moments where he, but if the humor isn't fully formed yet, uh-huh. it's he's still getting the experiences off his chest every every verse that is about a disagreement feels real uh-huh. and shout out to alex ludovico insubordinate records also from gary indiana uh went to the same high school as freddie gibbs and i was interviewing him and talking to him about Indiana, the people I knew from Indiana in the military, and definitely an interesting, an interesting character. So it's uh, good stuff to check out. But I'm, thank you for bringing this back. It was it was a lot of fun. It did. Yeah, did, did it feel too long to anybody, or was it fine? I think it was fine for me because I like Freddie Gibbs. Yes, I think that's yeah. I mean, it's 17 tracks, but it didn't feel long in the way that Blue Money did. Yes, yes, yes. I think Blue Money's 17 songs too. Yeah. yeah. But there's people, and I know you've had this experience at shows, when you go to shows and you're you're looking up at the rapper and you're like, that rapper could go forever. Like, that's Mm -hmm. just, this is in them, right? They could just go all day. You get that feeling. And that's exciting. But they care about this and they can generate it. They, they're just, they live in it. Uh, Gibbs feels like that. Jay Ant does not feel like that. For me. Yeah. So, and Donis, Donis is an interesting flavor. <laughs> yes. Very. I liked, I was, I was, it was very interesting going back to Donis. I'm a big fan of Donis. Uh, at the time, I, I was like, this guy is next because this kind of Southern sound was already a thing, right? Oh, yeah. Um, yep. great, you know, great producers. People were, you know, there was all kinds of, you know, Travis Porter kind of strip club music happening. Uh, but, and I felt like this could be an intelligent version of that that they want, like, uh, uh, and he had fashionably late has a really good concept arc to it of like becoming this, you know, superstar, getting drunk on the power, and and melting down. So, KD, what did you see as the fatal flaws in this? Well, couple things. One, I think. So I looked at this album was released. Oh, I'm sorry, this project was released. Uh, June 22nd, 2010, uh, the week before Drake Drake dropped his album, uh, his debut album, uh, Thank Me Later. So I think, I, I really just think that that took a lot of the air out of the room. You know what I mean? Because obviously, you know, you're, one, like they, they have like a sim, look, looking at the cover, they have like a him and Drake have like that similar vibe, uh, and I, I think the buzz for Drake that summer was huge. Like everyone knew Drake was going to be the next thing. Yeah. Uh, 
I'm not saying he was Jordan, but it was like a Jordan like feeling. Mm-hmm. He's not he's not the rap Jordan, but that feeling of okay, like you see it, like this this kid's next, like this kid's gonna have a long long run. Um, so I think you know the fact it's once again the kind of like tied to Freddie, like it's the timing it was a key thing, and then I think the other major factor for me was just the marketing, like like you said he he's a southern rapper. But, you know, you look at a guy like I, I the, the comparison I made to him, comparison that I looked at was B.O.B. Yes, uh, yes. And I felt like B.O.B. got to a point where he leaned into it like, look, you know, I have this Southern sound, but I'm a pop rapper. I'm trying to make, I'm going to make pop hits that are going to get played on the radio. And that's what I'm going to go with. I'm going to get my money. And I, I just felt like Donis was, he was in between that phase. Like, you know, he had these beats that were really like very, very pop oriented, it felt like. But at the same time, like, I think he had a lyric on a song where he was talking about he was going to, he couldn't wait to meet his his dad in hell, uh, which was really, uh, on the beat he was rapping about, on the beat he was rapping over, it was a little bit like, intense it was like whoa like okay yeah, yeah. um so, so so i i i just don't think he got the marketing right he didn't pick he didn't pick which lane he wanted to go and then go down that lane no i i it's funny you were talking about drake if he almost feels like drake to donis is jordan to drexler <laughs> <There it> <laughs> Um, but no, there's a, it's, it's definitely a strange deal. And I think B.O.B. is a part of this, right? Atlantic, we, when we were founding Free Music Empire, we were watching the mixtape people we loved get swallowed up by Atlantic and then get kind of regurgitated in a strange way. They were trying to make, Mm -hmm. they were trying to become kind of like, um, a factory ringtone music factory. Yeah. Right, yep. that's what they did to Wiz when they did his Rolling Papers. They, you know, all singles uh, wasn't as strong as the mixtapes. So, and Bob, oh. the problem he presented to Atlantic was that he was too musical. Yeah. He played all these instruments. He had all these disparate influences, and they were like, "Look, we want hits." We don't want any of this stuff. Like, whittle it down. So I think they kind of felt like Donis was the whittled down version. Yeah. Well, I didn't. I didn't even recognize that he was on Atlantic at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I think that played a huge part. Knowing that, that, that would kind of explain what what went on with this project. Yep. Donis is, Donis is interesting. I had some, I, I did some all caps notes on my notes. So <laughs> on the song, yup, I was trying to get an example of his weird punchlines that sometimes are a bit too much. Uh, every verse of work of art, call me Donnie Van Gogh, 
want to cut my ear off just hearing y'all flow. <laughs> Rappers love Van Gogh. They always love to make that Van Gogh reference. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Van Gogh's fine to me. Blurry cornfields, it's all cool. <laughs> I, I like, there's other artists I like better. But, um, but no, it, it's, did you have that experience, E, where you ran into these punchlines that were like, you're way too pleased with that? Like that's. Yeah, and some that made me uncomfortable. <laughs> and I was like, why did you, like, I think it was, Keith, it might be the same song you were talking about, about seeing his dad in hell, but he was talking about his dad. And then he was sort of talking to his mom, like, I want to ask you all these questions. Oh. And one of them was like, why'd you fuck him? And I was like, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> in yeah, my head, the record just yeah. stopped. The party stopped. I was like, wait, what? Honest. Yeah, I was like, baby, what's going on here? Like, yeah. it made me uncomfortable. And he does that, have yeah, that. Yeah, you're right. That, that, it's beautiful. That was all within all of these lines was, were, were within like 30 seconds of each other. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, yeah. He, he does have that thing. He, some, like, some rappers have that thing where they have no filter. They just don't know. Yeah. That it's not that big. It's like, uh, what's it? Donis. I'm exactly what a Don is. I'm like, oh, that's that's fine, but it's not that big a deal. Right. You know, we get it. It's, you know. And, and it's hard because once for because the project is so short, like once you have a moment like that and you, like it snaps your listener out of their flow, yeah, they're not getting back. They're not getting back into it. Like there's no way I can, that line, that song is gonna haunt me for, for a good amount of time. You know what I mean? Like those lines, like I'm not gonna forget those lines. Uh, so once, you, once, once the listener snaps out of that trance, you're not you're not going to get them back into it. I agree with that. Yeah, that when I heard the the watch it fucking like that's all I heard for like the next couple of songs. I'm like, damn. And then like like eat you alive made me uncomfortable too. I was just like, what's what's going on, yo? Talk about vampires eat you alive. I had my note on this is. Not sure if vampire slash eat you alive imagery <laughs> is offensive or play a talk on a level I can't carry off. Like, I'm more of a, like a let's watch Star Trek under my favorite thing, right? Like, I'm more of that vibe. So like I can't imagine being like eat you alive, and he was he's very excited about it. Yeah, it was too much, too much for me, man. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I I got great joy knowing that K Diggy was being forced to hear this. But there's also just really strange choices, uh, like folk tales, ATL folk tales. Um, he sounds way too happy on folk tales. Like Stacy just overdosed. I put that all caps. Stacy just overdosed. <laughs> Why are you so happy? Why is this delivery so happy? I don't understand what you're trying to do here. Yeah. 
I, I don't, I can't, couldn't tell if like this was like his attempt to introduce us to this character and like he was acting out this persona. I, I couldn't really get a sense of what he was trying to do with that. Like, is this, right. is this Donis? Is this who you're trying to introduce us to? Right. Yeah. This is, is this season one of an arc that's going to be continued through? And yeah. Like, yeah. And one of the things about the mixtape era that you need to know, K Diggy, is that it didn't make any sense. And mm -hmm. Clinton Sparks' announcement is exactly like a great example of that, right? Near the end of this thing, Clinton Sparks' announcement, he explains this Kakamami game plan. It was like, look, I, we just gave you 23 free songs called Fashionably Late. Don't worry. The next project is going to be a super short EP we're going to charge you for called Fashionably Late as well. Yeah. And I was like, that's the plan? That doesn't sound confusing for anyone. <laughs> it, um, I, sorry, go ahead, Keith. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I would, I would be more fascinated to hear an interview with him explaining <laughs> the logic behind all of the moves that he made on this, as opposed to listening to the album again. It just, I think from a theoretical level, it'd be fascinating to see, you know, what they were, what they were attempting to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but some of these songs, I, I, I hope to never hear, no offense to him, but I hope to hear most of these songs, I hope to never hear them again um, and forget them. That is the tagline. That is awesome. I hope you never hear them again. The no, that's I mean, there's some dark stuff on here. There's some strange stuff. Like and and you I think you had a great point where it's like we don't really know why all this is happening, right? Yeah. Why why aren't you at the party with Estelle? Like that seems cool, right? What is <laughs> I don't know what yeah. is it good because you're rich and you're drunk, like be rich and drunk with a scale. That seems cool. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. So strange. There's an Estelle voicemail on here. Yeah, I mean Yeah. And, and and there's all these cool celebrities, John Legend, come by the party and stuff. And you know, I guess the implication is that like Donis is just swimming in I don't know, champagne and just like can't make it there or something. I don't know. It's interesting because I heard an interview that he did. I think it was fairly recent. And he is just, it's like night and day. Like if I listen to this to get, to get a sense of who he is, like I would, it doesn't match the person that I heard talking at all. Like he's yep. just such an interesting guy. And he sort of took a step away from hip hop. Oof. Like to just sort of find himself. And now he is, works for Grailed. Um, yeah, it's just he's so he was so interesting to listen to. And I just would not have necessarily thought that hearing this, you know, but yeah, it was just I found that really interesting. And Donis was an XXL freshman. Like he yeah. Was in the XXL freshman class. Yeah. Like he was going to be that dude. Um, but and, and it's so weird because you get all these songs that are kind of too happy that make don't make sense for them. And then you get Make It Home, which is so dark and so sad. 
and I don't know if it's too dark or the rest of the album was too light. Like the arc to that song doesn't feel like enough. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, the other the other all caps note that I had was on the song Lightning. You remember the song Lightning? Mm. Mm. I wrote in all caps. What was, Colin what was your Monroe, note on it? Colin Monroe don't miss. Colin Monroe was like a hook specialist of the mixtape era. And he showed up on everybody's mixtape and just kind of killed buttery alternative dude hooks. And he, so on Lightning, he, he does that. Uh, just like Lightning. He's great. And I was like, oh, Colin Monroe at it again. But yeah, it's the other problem. That's and that that was enough. But I was gonna say because to tie into your point about the hooks, I felt like I I I felt like that was the angle they were trying to go. Him and Atlantic were trying to make like these poppy songs that could be played on the radio, but the hooks just weren't good enough to do that, to get get the song to that level where yep. the, the hook could just carry it. Like you look at B.O.B., uh, he worked, his big hit was Bruno Mars, Beautiful Girls. Was that the name of the song, Beautiful Girls All Over the World? I, I don't think that. Nothing was. on you, sorry, nothing on you. Yes. Uh, yeah, there you, go. And, you know, what carried that song was Bruno's hook. And then you look at, you know, his other, B.O.B.'s other big song, he had the girl from Paramore, uh, Airplanes, which yeah, had another right. great hook. Lupe Fiasco at the time, he had that, the song Superstar, which had a great hook. So you, you could see what Atlantic's model was, what they were trying to do, mm. but they did not have the hook to be able to do that for mm. most of these songs. Yeah. How did you feel about the production? Even like if, oh, sorry, finish up. Keith. I was gonna say like if even if you look at like you compare a song to like uh, Eminem's "Love the Way You Lie." Yes. Where where he's basically talking about this toxic relationship in pretty dark terms, but the only thing that you know keeps it, you know the the only reason why it was a hit was because of Rihanna's hook. Mm. So it, it it can be done what Dance was trying to do, but you need a, an above average hook to do it. And he didn't have it on this project. Yeah. The hooks are big, but not big enough. I think that's fair. You're right. E, how did you feel about the production on Fashionably Late? It was definitely a product of its time. Um, like listening to it now, I was like, ooh, this was made in 2010. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. it, it, I mean, that's, that's that's the only other thing I can say. About, that's the only thing I can say about it. It just it sounded like fresh out of that era. The beats. It, it just for me, it wasn't something like in comparison to Blue Money. Like again, I think Blue Money could drop tomorrow. Yep, and yep. and it would be fine, you know. But not fashionably late. Fashionably late yeah. drop tomorrow. I would be like what this came out <laughs> in 2021 yeah that's such a good i mean of the three this is the one that feels distant 
Yeah, for and, sure. I mean, the production, if we, yeah, June 2010, it came out. We're looking at Said Young, Count Justice, T-Minus, Needles. This is like, this is the height of big, like, I don't know, gassy Southern production. Yes. Kind of like distant, lifeless club rap production. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I mean, I th that was a time that I was going out a lot, and I could totally hear this playing at somebody's club. Yep, people dancing to it. Like it was just that was 2010. Like this is 2010. Okay, yep. Diggy. In 2010, you hit the dance floor, and all of a sudden you're distracted because it's going to eat you alive, and you're like, what? What is? I'd hope to never. I'd go home. I'd go home after that. Like it's just. <laughs> this is no need song. to be. Night's done. This is the song for our love. I'm sorry. We're gonna have to put this on hold. <laughs> oh man, it's it's weird. And and mm -hmm. but yes, it has that. Uh, I I don't I don't want to say lifelessness, but that kind of comes where it's like, it's the opposite of hearing a warm soul sample. And yeah. Like, really feeling it it's the opposite of that where it's like it's the anti-blueprint you know yeah just like these yeah artificial sounds yeah like factory yeah yeah yep so it's and you combine the artificial sounds with the the overly jovial tone that falls right into alcoholism on the last track uh and with the crazy punchlines that he he stamps down on and is just and can't let you miss you know um it's a, it's a weird listen but i yeah part of me always thinks why didn't he break in 2010 because he would have fit so perfectly in that era but then i think part of me thinks maybe that's why like maybe the audience doesn't always want what you think it wants. Yeah. Yeah, and I think for 2010, to go back to the timing, that was the shift when we saw, because, you know, Drake Drake released it, his album. You know, Nikki released her album as well. Oh. So there was a shift away from, I think 2010, we started to really see that shift away from that sound. Uh, and what was popular, like what was going to be popular in, in rap going forward? Because I'm looking at, let me, and I, let's see, what are, let me see what the number, the top albums. But let's see, yeah. Recovery, which was Eminem actually released his album on the same day that Donis released this mixtape, yeah. which doesn't help. Uh, you know, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, Thank Me Later, Pink Friday. Oh. Uh, Teflon Don, Kid Cudi, Man on the Moon 2. Um, so you could, yeah, you could just see Donis didn't, he wasn't in the caliber of those no. of those guys that released that year. No, and it was it was like the last gasp of of labels trying to curate and be the curators, which is kind of over now. Yes. Now it's just kind of yes. You, know, you establish yourself, then they do business with you as a partnership. Yeah. Uh, it's mm -hmm. not like it used to be. And I think this is still the used to be times of them trying to mentor and 
raise artists up and this is the kind of off the rail stuff that happens but that's that's a good point but yeah there's some people who like as an example i'll be mixtape rick ross is a totally different rick ross than album rick ross and mm -hmm. people who experience mixtapes will never hear the difference uh, and it's it's weird to describe it to people or try to um so what was yeah E, what were you some of your other favorite mixtapes of the mixtape era? Mm, um, I mean, I really, you know, I think a group that really played a, a vital part um, in the era was the Odd Future Collective. I mean, all the stuff that they put out. I almost picked Bastard um, to talk about tonight. That was, that was what I was um, torn between, but yeah, they just played a huge part in that conversation, I think. Um, and not even that, they brought to the table a completely different sound. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so yeah. it was just sort of like this, you know, underground thing. You know, it, we didn't know who these guys were, what they were all about. And they just, you know, that sort of mystery around them just drew you right in. Um, so like they, they are, um, respond. They are also responsible, I think, for just sort of pulling me back towards hip hop in in a way that I wanted to look for new music. I wanted to dig, you know. Um, definitely, I mean, ASAP Rocky mixtape, yep. ASAP Rocky. Like I was totally into ASAP. Um, I thought he was really unique at the time, um, and I think his. I think his success is so interesting because he, I mean, he's huge now. I mean, not just in music, but he's in movies now. So like, just to see that transformation. Ben Rihanna. Yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> I think ASAP won. You, you fucking won. <laughs> yeah. No, you don't, you do not date Rihanna if you haven't branded yourself well. You know, you have a thousand percent. Yeah. She ain't just dating anybody. Yeah, coherent with that stuff, and no, Aesop Rocky has become his own like brand that crosses different markets, music, yeah. fashion, whatever. You know what Aesop Rocky means. Whenever like he shows yep. up in movies, and I'm never worried. I'm like, he's gonna kill it because he's always yep. him. He's always him wherever he goes, uh, and he just knows what to do with himself. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, and they did a fantastic with his with his mixtapes. They did a fantastic job of creating like that musical aesthetic that mm. that we know him for, and that he's really. I don't want to say he's Adolf. Of he's really like, I don't. I'll, I'll say he's Maximized really posted it. on Maximized. what he established with his mixtapes. Yes. Yes. Um. Well so that i mean that's what a good that's what a good mixtape will do Nope. no it's uh and, and but to the to your point with the odd future stuff uh you know nostalgia ultra frank ocean mm. uh, mm -hmm. homogenesis no idols uh there was so much there yeah that's incredible um the the one of the things that was like you think about the when I think about long live ASAP, mm. 
first thing I think about is Clams Casino. Mm. Clams Casino was such an interesting, innovative producer of the time. Um, mm -hmm. And there were so many like that happened like that, where like drill became a thing. Those producers were big. Then they were swallowed back up and the sound was swallowed back up and regenerated other ways. And uh, it's just, it's just, there was so much, but the fun part was getting to watch stars be made. Yeah, for sure. You know, getting, getting to just be like, this is amazing. Um, mm. Yeah. So it was, it was great. I'm going to go to recommendation corner. We're recommending for the audience something to check out. I am going to recommend, I've been warned that Tokyo Cigar is a genius. Tokyo Cigar, underground rapper, been around for a thousand years. Uh, I had never really fully engaged with what he did, put a new album called Serenity. I was like, I'll check it out. And he's, he raps on like two songs. The rest is him producing, mixing, and organizing songs with all these other people. Bad Boy Sharif, uh, Iceberg Theory, Hell, uh, Heaven Raiser, Hellraiser from uh, Sons of Man, you know, Black Poet is on there. Just really interesting uh, collection of people. And his production is amazing. Uh, it's really interesting. And people that he's known for a long time and just likes having them on songs are on there, but bigger names are on there too. Uh, and it's really interesting. It's a really good collection. Um, so I'm, I'm excited and uh, hopefully get engaged with, with him on that. So, um, E, do you have anything you're listening to right now that you're into and want people to hear? Yeah. Um, True Sky by Akai Solo, fully produced by Navy Blue. Um, such a beautiful record. Yes. Akai Solo is such a unique MC, somebody that I really have been enjoying listening to and just discovering his early works because um, he put out several different projects. Yep. Uh, but he's solid and he's really just speaking to what we were talking about earlier, just having that emotional connection with an artist you're listening to. Like you really, you know, gets into some heavy stuff sometimes and he does so in a way that, you know, his flow is pretty um, laid back. So he like sort of delivers it with a simplicity that you're able to, to just, that doesn't distract um, from or take away from what he's saying. Um, mm -hmm. So I really appreciate that about him. Um, you know, he's just, you know, I think that even in the underground scene, things can become redundant and sound the same. And that's not something that I would say about a Kai Solo. He just brings something fresh to the table. So I'm excited to just see where he goes um, in the next couple of months and years. Yeah. Yeah. And follow next movement podcast. Uh, going to interview with the Kai solos coming up. The, you guys are masterminds of booking, uh, when it comes to <laughs> like, but the K diggy, they had the cover artist for the 50 cent album, get Richard die trying on there to talk about that. I mean, it's, They've had all kinds of, of incredible people who are maybe not in the spotlight to get their perspective on these events. Uh, it's been incredible. 
Absolutely. So yeah, check it out. It's it's awesome. And Akai is is it definitely the the flow might the flow when I first heard it sounded off mm. a little bit, but I got to see a concert he opened for Maasai. Uh, mm. It was on, uh, and it was a digital concert, and he was kind of rocking along with his uh, with his beats and flow, and I was like, okay, I kind of get this now. I'm on the wavelength with it, but once you discover it, it's like unlocking uh, the weird video game character in the fight game that, like, you know, nobody wants to fight against because they're unconventional, uh, but he, he can he can just rap for days and days. He, he yeah, just, yeah. It's a it's a truly beautiful album, uh, and he's got a lot of them. So check it out. And as always, just K Diggy recommends the albums of R Kelly and the Cosby Show. Is that <laughs> if you can find a Cosby Show on DVD, uh, it's a high recommendation. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, and I would just you know, um, in the in conclusion, thank you, Pam Greer, for everything you gave us. Mm. Amen. <laughs>